Hey, this is Christian Golden. Welcome to our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message encourages you. I hope it builds you up. Enjoy the message. So last week we talked about revival and what we need to do to get it here in our church. And so I continue to pray about revival because it's something that needs to happen. And we've always talked about what was, and we always talked about what could be, but we really didn't focus a lot on what is. And I have to say that it got me fired up when I left here. I was really excited. I was so excited that the guy that was delivering my groceries from the Kroger click list, I invited him to church, which last week I had to confess I didn't invite anybody, but I got one this week. And I don't see him, probably because he's working. So anyways, but I did invite somebody. Did y'all invite anybody this week? We should. We're all evangelists. We all should be inviting people as part of revival when it starts within you. But one of the things that I wanted you to take away from last week's sermon is that revival happens inside of you. And I made that statement that we wait for revival to happen around us, but God is wanting it to happen within us. And, but in order for us to get what's on the inside to be made evident on the outside, we have to first let it change us on the inside. And part of my sermon was about sin. We don't talk enough about sin, in my opinion. Me and Pastor used to talk about it all the time. And he'd always show me some things and tell me how to bring it out. And if you got problems or issues or somebody's going through some things, that if you tell them, you know, one-on-one, they're going to take up an offense. But if you put it in a sermon, then it's for everybody. And we got to get... a a good grasp of sin, and part of my sermon was about that, and how we need to get back to a deep, sorrowful repentance for the many sins that we continue to commit every single day. And the reasons we don't repent near as often, or as sincere as we should, is because we no longer fear the Lord. And that's the title of my message this morning, The Fear of the Lord. And the reason I can say that is because if we really did fear the Lord, then when we sinned, repented from our sins, we wouldn't turn back to them. How many times have you repented from something in your life and, the, and then went right back to the same thing? I used to do that when I was dipping a uh, skull long cut. I'd get so mad and tell God I was sorry for dipping, and I'd throw the can out the window, and before I got home, I'd stop and buy another can. Keep going back. A lot of times when we take things to the cross, when we ask God to forgive us and we nail it to the cross, all, all too often we go back and, re, and pick it back up. And relive in the same sins. But because we no longer fear the Lord, we continue in the ways of the world. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, says it like this. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus presented the clear way of access into righteousness. The righteousness that Jesus demanded doesn't come through the wide gate. That's the way that the world is going, and and it's the broad road. But rather, it comes through the small gate and the narrow road. And if you look at at the whole sermon that Jesus was given, it was obvious he was comparing the wide gate and the broad road to the outward righteousness of the Pharisees. If those listening to Jesus followed the teaching of the Pharisees, their path would lead to destruction. And you can compare that to the ways of the world. The narrow gate and the narrow road refer to Jesus' teaching. 
but internal transformation. Even we emphasize not eternal requirements, but internal transformation. Even Jesus himself said that few would find the true way which leads to everlasting life. Do y'all see where we're headed as a country? Jesus himself said that few would find the true way which leads into everlasting life. Now, the wide gate also represents the ways of this world. How much of the world are we caught up in, especially now with Christmas, especially now with the holidays upon us? I mean, you can look around and see how caught up we are in the world by the amount of people who attend church on Sundays now. Some things are more important than coming and getting fed. And I know this is just a place that we get fed, and then we can have church at home, but where's everybody at? Where's everybody at? It, the wide gate represents the world. So my question to you this morning is, which path are you on? Are you on the wide path or the narrow path? The wide path is always going to be the ways of the world. Everything that separates you, that takes you away from Christ, that takes you away from your calling, everything that, that you do that is not of God is on the wide path. And that's where this generation, this world, is on this wide path. We're all going in the same direction, which is, to, which is destruction. And I'm going to be honest with you. We're all on the narrow path on Sunday. It's one thing I've learned about coming to church every week is that on Sundays we're all fired up. On Sundays we're all good Christians. On Sundays we're all walking that straight and narrow. But it's the rest of the week that I'm talking about. And I'm going to tell you firsthand that for many people, transformation is a process. In order to get from the wide road to get to the narrow road, it takes time. It's a process. Oh, I wish it could be like that of the Apostle Paul. His transformation was so fast on the road to Damascus where he was blinded by the light. And then after, he, after his transformation, he was sold out for the cause for Jesus Christ. And he never turned back. But many of us, we don't get that. Many of us, it's a process of one foot in and one foot out. And it takes time. And we look at other people's lives who are trying to make this transformation and we want to judge their lives based on where we are at in ours who's already been transformed. So we got to have patience with people. I wish it was like the Apostle Paul. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing that sometimes change takes time. But I am saying that many of us, even though we've been saved for years, even though we've been in the church house for years, are still straddling the fence. And that's because we no longer fear the Lord so when our life goes into a tailspin, and it will, anybody else's life in total chaos right now besides mine? That's what happens when you're transforming from the, the wide road to the narrow road. That even, and even though we've been in the church for years, many of us are still straddling the fence because we don't fear the Lord. So when our life goes into a tailspin, at one point or another, we run to God and we say, why? It always amazes me at how busy we are, too busy for God until we need him. Amen? It always amazes me how we want God out of our lives until we get sick. And then in a moment's notice, we start searching for God like we lost our cell phones. Hmm? Does that make sense? I would say a diamond, but most of us have never searched for diamonds. But you lose your cell phone, you'll, you'll rip the house upside down looking for something because it's your whole life. Imagine if we search for God like we do these squawk box cell phones. Just a thought. 
And when things go bad, then we pull out our Bibles and we blow off the dust and we dive in and we read it every chance we get. We're searching the scriptures for promises to help us. We get on our knees in prayer three times a day, morning, noon, and night, and we're praying to God. We name it and we claim it, do we not? We call those things that be not as though they were, and we ask God to give us the spirit of Elijah so we can call fire down from heaven to consume every issue that's come against us and consume the enemies of God. And it's often in these times of crisis that we listen with our hearts and not, not just our ears. And it's, it's times like these that rip us back into the reality that we live in a broken world. And everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And everything that can come against us will come against us. But I want to tell you, that was a reality for me when my wife got sick. I was doing all right with church. I was doing good. I was teaching. You know, I was coming to church, but I wasn't fully committed 100% in my heart. Our biggest deal that we was working on here at the church was the remodel. Because it was during that remodel here in the sanctuary that my wife got sick. And there was a, a time of about three months where we didn't get to do any work on the electrical. Because I was at the hospital. Emily was having surgery after surgery. She was sick. Flying around on helicopters like there was nothing else to do. <laughs> Going to life flight. And it changed everything. It changed everything in me. And it kind of let me know there's a price to pay. There's a price to pay when you start serving Christ. And we don't teach people that anymore. We teach them all the good things, but we don't tell them about the stuff that's going to come. And it hurt me spiritually. I had a choice. And when I was standing in the hallway, and the doctor met me before I could even see my wife at Memorial Hermann, and he, he said, are you, are you Mr. Olaf? And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, here's your... Uh, uh, MRI, a picture of a normal brain, and here's your wife's brain, and if we don't do surgery right now, she won't live. And what do you do? And, in, and it was in that moment that I had this clear vision. It seemed like it lasted an eternity, but really and truly it was only a split second. There was a, a two paths that I was standing at, and one to the right was a path where I just cursed God and said, why did you let this happen? How could you do this to me? How could you do this to my wife? She was the most perfect person I've ever met in my life. Innocent, loved her children, was a great mother, loved me, was faithful. How could you do this to her? And the other side, but when I saw that, God also showed me what would happen if I took that path. My kids would be lost. They would turn away from him. My life would be total chaos. But then when I took the side, the left side, the path, a narrow path. Let's say, God, I don't know what's happening, but I'm going to trust in you. And I'm going to believe in you that I know you didn't cause this. And so that's the path that I took. And he showed me everything that was going to happen, which included where I'm at today. And he showed me some things. But I want to tell you something. Y'all listen closely. Psalms 37, 25 says, I have not seen the righteous forsaken or the children begging for bread. And every time I go through something, I look at that scripture and I say, God, what are you saying to me? Is that it, it, it doesn't, we're going to have trials. We're going to have troubles in our life. But David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And it took a long time for me to get that in my spirit. 
took a long time for me to get that. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it's okay if you've ran from God. I ran for God, from God for many years. And not, not just spiritually, but physically. I didn't want nothing to do with God. I didn't want nothing to do with church. And especially after my brother was killed, I did blame God for that. Because again, he was another perfect person. He was the only, one of the only males that really didn't ever go to prison in our family. He did everything right. He went to school. He, he became a police officer. He worked hard. He loved God. And why would you take him, Lord? I begged God for I don't know how long to take me instead of him. But, you know, some things are done. When they're done, they're done. But it's okay if you've run from God. It's okay if you've put him out of your life because I want to tell you that he's here now. And he's ready and he's willing to come into your life. And maybe everything in your life is okay. I don't know that I've ever met anybody whose life is a-okay. I just want to tell you, be patient. It'll change. It'll change. Just wait a little while. I promise you. I said this last week. We're all just a phone call away from a totally different life. And the reason we, we only run to God when we're in a dire need for him or when we have to have a miracle or we're pressed up against the, uh, a wall or we need a financial breakthrough, and it's because that we have it, no doubt we do not fear God. If we did, we'd spend time with him. If we did fear God, the first thing we would do when we got up is, is we'd get into this book and not on Facebook. Look. Listen to me. Nobody cares that you got a new weave in your hair. Or change the color again for the third time this week. Nobody cares that you're eating another spinach salad with nuts instead of raisins. Come on now. Huh? What, what are you getting into first thing in the morning? And for the love of all things human, please stop posting pictures of your red, beet, sweaty face when you're done working out. Save us. Just stop. We do not fear God. There are two types of fear that I want to mention this morning. There's a healthy fear, and there's a harmful fear. A healthy fear is reverence. It's an attitude of deep awe. And I stand in awe of you, Lord. When I stand on the seashore and I watch the sunset and I stand in awe, when I'm in the, the presence of the Lord, I stand in awe. In, in men's group this morning, I, would, I want to give a shout-out to the men's group. We're running a little slim, guys. There's, if everybody in here went to men's group, we'd be standing room only. I'd like to invite y'all. It's good, it's good for us to iron sharpens iron. Come on in there and be a part of it. It helps you grow. It's helped me grow. But we were talking this morning about Genesis and the magnitude of God and when he created the heavens and the earth, and we just can't really understand it. We stand in awe when we look through these telescopes and we see all these galaxies that he's created, and he knows every star by name. He knows every galaxy by name, and we just, with our finite minds, cannot understand an infinite God. We stand in awe of him. That's a healthy fear of God. It's respect. It's a deep admiration for someone or something because of their abilities, their qualities, or their achievements. The Bible teaches that children are to respect their parents, Leviticus 19.3. Wives are to respect their husbands, and slaves are to respect their masters. 
Ephesians 6, 5. The scripture also declares that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, as well as the beginning of wisdom. Now, there's a harmful fear. Harmful fear is a sense of terror that I experienced one day. I was at home by myself. My whole family was gone, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, my son's fire truck went off in his room. Terror came over me. My first thought was, who is in my house? (laughs) It scared the living daylights out of me. It was fear. Or you get a call in the middle of the night from a police officer or on your way to work at 520 in the morning. Harmful fear also means dread. Believers are not instructed, or believers are instructed not to fear human beings. Amen? Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Wicked men are constantly fearing other people, especially the righteous. Such fear causes them to act deceitfully in an attempt to hide their sins. There's a healthy fear and there's a harmful fear. So just so we're on the same page, the unbeliever has every reason to be panic-stricken if you do not believe in Christ. Because when you think about God, he stands condemned before him. The unbeliever does. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So if you're not saved, you should be scared. If I was you, I would be terrified just thinking of what my eternal future looks like because I'm not saved. And a lot of churches like to paint this pretty picture of a God in heaven in a rocking chair just sitting there patiently waiting for his son to come home, allowing him to live this life or sow his wild oats, if you will. Eat, drink, and be merry, the world says. And when you're old and when you're tired, when you've lived your life, you say, Lord, save me. Save me, Jesus. And then you come home to claim your inheritance. And I don't believe that for one second. I don't believe that for one second. Yes, God is patient. But Jesus said to leave the 99 and go search for the one. The father ran to meet his prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6, 2. In a favorable favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. So you should be very fearful if you're not saved. You should be scared if you're not saved. If you're not saved, if you've never been born again into the kingdom of God, there is a one-way ticket with your name on it. Straight to the pits of hell that will be punched when you breathe your last breath here on earth. And that's not a pretty conversation, but it's the absolute truth. For those of you that are not saved, let me give you a glimpse of what you have to look forward to. All this ties in with the fear of God, but I just want you to know what you got to look forward to for rejecting him and his word and his peace. Hell is the place of eternal punishment for the unrighteous. Hell as a place of punishment. The word Gehenna is the Hebrew word that means the valley of Hinnom, which is a valley south of Jerusalem. It was in this valley that the Canaanites worshipped Baal. Y'all have heard of Baal before. 
and in the fire god Molech by sacrificing their children in a fire that burned continuously. Have we ever sacrificed our children at the altar in these clinics? Yeah, I think so. Even Ahaz and Manasseh, who were part of the 12 tribes who were kings of Judah, were guilty of this idolatrous practice in Second Chronicles. In the time of Jesus, the valley of Hinnom was used as the garbage dump of Jerusalem. All the filth and garbage of the city was thrown into it, including the dead bodies of animals and executed criminals. To consume all this, fires burned continuously. And when the wind blew from that direction over the city, this awfulness was quite evident. At night, wild dogs howled and gnashed their teeth as they fought over the garbage. This is the example Jesus used as an awful scene, as a symbol of hell. Hell can be described as God's cosmic garbage dump. All that is unfit for heaven will be thrown into hell. The word Gehenna occurs 12 times in the New Testament. Each and every time it is translated as hell, with the exception of James chapter 3, verse 6. This word is only used by Jesus. So the word hell or Gehenna as a place of punishment is used in the New Testament by him who is the essence of infinite love. In Mark 9, 46 and 48, hell is described as a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus repeatedly spoke out of darkness and a furnace of fire where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. How many times have we heard that? How many times have we told people that we come into contact with who's living a reckless and abandoned life that the rewards that they're going to get? The book of Revelation describes hell as a lake of fire burning with brimstone. The beast and the false prophet will be thrown into hell, Revelation 19.20. At the end of the age, the devil himself will be thrown into it, along with death and hate and all whose names are not written in the book of life. Revelation 20.10. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So if you're not saved, you should be very scared. Because once you've entered into eternity, your final destination will be sealed forever based on the choices that you've made today. Amen? Is everybody saved in here? Everybody saved. There will be an opportunity at the end of this message if you want to become a born-again believer. Don't miss this opportunity. For some, it may be your last. For some, it may be your last. So I've been, I've been having some struggles at home. I've been fearing, trying to learn and understand what the fear of God is, which is a respect and an admiration, but I, I just ain't quite getting it. You ever just have something that you know you want to learn, and you're studying, and you're reading, and you're praying, and you just ain't quite getting it? I'm still kind of struggling with that. You know, is it okay to struggle on some things? Do y'all got a complete understanding of the fear of the Lord? I'm working on it. It's hard, to, it's hard to have a, a complete understanding of God and the fear of the Lord when you're going through some things in your life. Right now, one of my biggest struggles is with my wife, my bride. And on Tuesday, and I'm getting way off my notes here, but on Tuesday, we're having an MRI done, which will basically determine, do we keep treatment or do they put her on pain medication and, and let life be what it is? So it's, it's really a deep, uh, it's got me heavy in my heart. I mean, nobody wants to lose their spouse. 
and you stand there and you pray and you know and you try to have this fear of God and you're praying I trust you God I love you Jesus and you keep praying and you keep believing and you keep believing but the harder you pray the more bad things happen and is it because I'm a pastor no it is because I'm a believer it's because I'm a believer in Christ. We, we, once we get saved, we think everything's supposed to happen in, a, in an orderly, great fashion. But, you know, I always go back to the book of Job where he was attacked and he was just, for no reason, he was a righteous man. And so I'm saying, God, I fear you in the sense that I love you and I respect you. But why won't you answer my prayers? Why do we have to go through this? Why do I have to, my kids have to go through what they're going through? And it's a struggle. I wanted to bring this back full circle on what is the fear of God. What is the fear of God? We've talked about how sin works in our lives. And we turn to how we grow in holiness and the fear of the Lord. But growth takes knowledge. If you're going to grow, you've got to know some things. When we were in the world, we grew in the world because we know the ways of the world. I mean, I was a poster child for running for the devil. And now that I'm saved, I'm trying to be a righteous Christian. I'm trying to live a holy life. It takes work. You've got to put in the time. You've got to put in the study. And when we talk about sanctification, we, we have to emphasize knowledge. Sanctification is not a list of steps. We learned about that in our school, justification, sanctification. Justification was when God looked at all mankind and he said, I'm going to wipe away all sin for once and for all, just as if I never sinned. And that happened at, cross, sancti- at the cross. Sanctification is a continuous process where we seek God, where we pray to Christ, and we learn and we study and we pray. It's a process of continuously being saved. But it takes knowledge. Our self-help principles that we can check off. It's not, it calls for great knowledge to know how to walk with the God through some really tough circumstances in life. And I specifically put that in there because I do not know how to walk like I should walk when somebody in my house is dying. I'm not asking for a pity party. I'm just... How do you walk that way? How do you trust and believe when everything you're trusting and believing is not coming to happen? And it calls for great knowledge to know that God is the God that created the universe, that that no matter what is happening with my wife or my children, right now everybody in my house is sick. Again, the third time this month, they're all coughing and snotting everywhere. Why? I don't know. I don't like it. I just absolutely don't like it. And if we're ever going to grow in knowledge, we need to fear the Lord. That is, we need to be whole. We, we, to be single-minded. To be single-minded, not double-minded. The book of James says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And to live according to the biblical standards requires a continual process of learning who God is. And at one time, I had a good knowledge, I thought I did, of who God is. But you know, God is a living God. 
He isn't somebody that we can set up on a desk or, and, and just say, okay, this is all he's going to be. This is all he ever was, and this is all he's ever going to be. But he continuously lives in us and through us and by us, by the words that we speak and the time that we spend with him. And we have to realize that how desperate our situation is apart from him. And as I lay there at night in my room with the ceiling fan, the chain clicking on the ceiling fan light, and oftentimes I'll reach over and I'll shake my wife. Are you breathing? And she'll say, yeah, quit touching me. Let me sleep. Let me sleep. We need to fear God. That is to be whole. The fear of the Lord is an awareness that you're not, that you are in the presence of a holy and just and almighty God. That you are in the presence of him. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to fear the Lord. And that he will hold you accountable for your motives and your thoughts your words and your actions to fear God is to desire to live in harmony with his righteous standards. How do we live in harmony? Not just talking about us as as a church, as a body, but how do I live in harmony with God when he's not answering my prayers? It's by knowing him, having a relationship with him. Growing up, me and my brother used to, to fight all the time, but I still loved him. And I'm not saying we're fighting with God or God's fighting with us, but I, I think sometimes we fight against him where we want our wills to be done and not his. And that we do everything to promote our agendas and not his. That we spend all our time and efforts on what we want and not what he wants. And that's, that's not a fear of the Lord. And to honor him in all that you do, God does not want you to be scared of him in any way. He's not that, he doesn't want that type of God. He doesn't want you to fear him in the sense that he can strike you down. He wants you to fear him in the sense that you respect him and that you love him. He wants you to love and respect him and his word. He wants you to hang on his words and his promises. He wants you to fear him, but not to be afraid of him. I can't emphasize that enough. And if we spend time with him, we develop a relationship with him. I've got a great relationship with Daryl. We, we don't always agree. We don't always agree, but we love each other. We spend time together. We work on our friendship. God's the same way. You don't have to understand everything to have a relationship with God. I don't understand everything Daryl does. He don't understand everything I do. We have a great relationship. And if we spend time with God, we develop that relationship because no other relationship in this world will ever be greater or more important than the one that you have with Jesus Christ. That's what matters. And we don't seek to honor, we don't naturally seek to honor God because everything that is in us from birth, from the creation, is to go against God, it's to go against Christ, it's to satisfy and fulfill the lust of the flesh the desires of our sinful nature that only the blood of Jesus Christ can take away. So it's not natural for us to want to seek God. So things like that you have to work at. If you want a relationship with God, you've got to have a relationship with Christ, which means you've got to put in some work. But instead, we pursue selfish pleasures. 
instead of discovering the joy of knowing and loving God. We must walk in the fear of the Lord. David prayed in Psalms 86, 11, Teach me your way, O God, that I may walk in truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. That's a reverence. He wants us to fear his name. And throughout the Bible, there, there are many promises given to those who fear the Lord. Such as Proverbs 22, 4, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. It is wise to be governed by a healthy fear of God. Do you fear God? A holy God who will not tolerate sin? Be steadfast, Proverbs 16, 6. In love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. The fear of God for an unbeliever is absolute terror. The fear of God for a believer is one of high regard, reverence, service, love, respect, and admiration. That's what God wants us to have with him. Most everyone here knows how much of a, a bookworm that I am, that I'm always reading either the Bible or a book or something that goes along with my sermons. And as I was reading one such article, I came across this illustration by another pastor that I thought was absolutely perfect on how he explained the fear of God. And he wrote, and I'm quoting now, I used to think that living in the fear of the Lord was like driving down the street while watching a policeman in your rearview mirror. You ever done that? I have. <laughs> I may have been guilty a time or two. But actually, there's a better picture for the fear of God. It's like a teenage driver who suddenly spots her father's car in her rearview mirror. Seeing him back there puts her on notice to be on her best behavior. Because when I know my dad's behind me watching me, I'm going to be acting right. I'm going to be driving right. To use, my, use her blinkers, to stop at the yellow lights instead of going through it, <laughs> to keep both hands on the, on the wheel at 10 and 2. But it also tells her that her father cares enough to follow her. Is God following you today? It tells her that she's safe, that her father isn't trying to trap her or trick her. He's trying to help her, help her develop good habits, not just to be careful on the trip, but to obey the laws and stay safe until she gets home. And she's driving on her own, but not completely on her own. So it is for the people of God, he says. The fear of the Lord means that we live life with our Heavenly Father in our rearview mirror. We glance up and see his brilliant holiness, but also his care and his love. And our response, the fear of the Lord, is a mix of reverence, respect, trust and love. Hey, this is Christian Golden. I wanted to thank you so much for joining us today and listening to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I'd like to ask you to do a couple things for us. The first is to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date with everything going on here at LCC. Also, you can help us reach others around the world by investing today at lightchristiancenter.com slash give. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you and have a great day.